Bradley, one of the spiritual directors here at NCC. How are you? I'm not preaching, so don't worry. <laughs> our pastor's preaching today. But we are in our second week of this series called What We Believe. And thousands of years ago, the early Christians, they would ask this question, what is central or what is key to our Christian faith? So the church leaders, they all got together and they came up with this statement. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin the message on this morning with this statement. It's the statement that the Christian leaders would, would read to the early church. And it goes, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end, and we will believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I took and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. This is what we believe. Growing up in my house, we didn't have cable TV. I don't know if any of you guys did. So my favorite thing to do was I'd go over my friend's house, one of my best friends, We'd have Saturday night sleepovers, and we would watch WWE wrestling, okay? I don't know if any of you guys watched that growing up, but I remember that. And when I think about the champion, when I think about the absolute best wrestler, this is who comes to mind right here. This is my thoughts. Come on, you guys. Do you remember this? All those muscles, right? Um, man, that's who I think of. Now, I know for some of you guys, that was way before your time. You don't remember WWE and Hulk Hogan, and man, he was like one of the greatest wrestlers. For some of you, when you think of wrestling, you think of WrestleMania and this guy right here. Okay, so that's what comes to some of your minds. In case you didn't know it, The Rock, before he was a movie actor, was a wrestler. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of champion or, or the absolute best. Maybe it's a sports athlete. Maybe it's someone in history. When we talk about the best in our house, this is what always comes up. Which Marvel superhero is the best, okay? Let's settle this right now. Anyone, Iron Man, Team Iron Man? 
Okay, a few of you guys. Team Captain America. Oh, man, come on, you guys. I wanted Iron Man to be louder. Okay, but maybe that's what your thought goes to when you're thinking of the absolute best or who that is, some Marvel superhero. But this morning, whatever you think or whoever you think of, I want you to put those thoughts aside, and we're going to look at the life of one individual and how it stood apart from anyone else, and that's the person of Jesus. And we're going to look at how his life was unique and how it was different from anyone that has ever lived or existed on this world and what makes him stand apart and what that means for us. As Lakeitha mentioned, we are in our second week of this series called What We Believe. And as we look at this statement that the early church leaders gave, you see that a large part of this statement is around the person of Jesus. Because there were a lot of thoughts, and even back then there were a lot of questions of, Who was Jesus and what did that mean for people that believed in him? Or what should we think about this person that lived and that walked here on this earth? Who Jesus was and the impact that he had in our lives. And so that's what I want us to think about. Now, let me say this. I realize that here this morning as we talk about Jesus and him being unique, there may be those of you both in the room or maybe you're watching online. Someone invited you and you would say, hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. Uh, not for sure about the church saying, I want you to know that you're welcome here. This is a place where you could belong, even if you don't believe yet. Like, we are so excited that you're here with us this morning. And that you would just be open enough to come and to listen to a conversation about Jesus. And my prayer is that as we talk through this, that your heart would be open. And that you would want to find out more about who Jesus is and more about his life and what that means for you as a person. Let me start by just giving you a poem. Um, that someone wrote, it's kind of an autobiography of the life of Jesus and looking at who he was and kind of how this is unique about his life. He starts with this, this poem that was written, Jesus was born in an obscure village. So that means he's born in a town that no one really knew about. He was the child of peasants. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was about 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held a public office. He never had family. He didn't own a home. He didn't go to college, and he didn't live in a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born, and he didn't have anything in his life that usually accompanies this idea of greatness. He had no credentials but himself. At the age of around 33, public tide opinion, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of his good friends betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies and endured a mock trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, those that were executing him gambled for his garments, which was the only earthly possessions that he had. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Yet, 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark to say that of all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, all of them put together have not affected the life of people on this earth as much as this one solitary man. I mean, just think about that. Everything that I described, this person didn't grow up in the metropolis, didn't grow up in a well-known city, didn't have this immense education or knowledge or any of these things, and yet he has altered human history. As a matter of fact, all of our history's time is kind of calculated around this one person who from the outside 
doesn't seem like he had this extraordinary life or wasn't set up to make this enormous impact, and yet his life made all the difference in the world when you look at it. I mean, he stands apart unique from anyone else in history. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, well, Aaron, don't we have all of that? Like everything we know about Jesus is because it was his friends writing about him or like followers or people that believed in him or people that loved him. So that's why we're still talking about him over 2,000 years later is because people that loved him wrote about him. But that's not necessarily true. There were so many ancient documents and historical documents of other people that were outside of the Christian faith, that were not followers of Jesus, that were not a part of the church, that wrote about the impact that this one man had on the time that he lived in. There was a Jewish historian named Josephus. Turn to someone next to you and say that, Josephus. It's just fun to say. Okay, so this guy named Josephus, once again, wasn't a Christian, wasn't part of the church, and he was a Jewish historian. As a matter of fact, some of his writings criticize the church, but he's known because he gives us such detail about the life of Jesus and about the impact that this one Jewish rabbi had not only on the Jewish culture, but also on the Roman Empire. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he noted how all of history seemed like it was shifting around this one person and around his followers. There were Roman historians, once again, not Christians, not followers of Jesus, that wrote, and we still have some of their writings. There was a Roman senator named Tacitus, and he wrote, um, it was just a little bit after the time of Jesus, he wrote a series of books of Roman history called the Annuals. And in book 15 in chapter 44, this is what he writes. There are a group of followers called Christians because of their leader named Christus. This leader who, who from their name originates suffered extreme penalty under the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our officials, Pontius Pilate. And he goes on to write how this group of followers are reshaping the Roman Empire. That this one man... This one guy who only lived 33 years, once again, from an obscure village, was a carpenter most of his life, and then began kind of this public ministry, this public teaching, was reshaping the world-dominant power of that time. It's said that the sun did not set on the Roman Empire, and there was one man who was reshaping it, Jesus Christ. His life stands unique from anyone else in history. And you guys, it was before he was even born. Before he even came to this earth, that you could start to see the uniqueness of his life, how his life was different. And that is because there are over 351 prophecies. Now, those are statements. Some of them are poems. Some of them are writings about the life of Jesus, this one man, before he was even born. Now, I want you to just stop and think about this, okay? Think about your life, some of the things that you have done. Can you imagine 100 of years before you were ever born, if someone wrote, there'll be someone born by this name in this town. That'd be pretty amazing, right? But then what if they got even more detailed of where you were going to move, other places that you would live, some of the things that you would say, what your teaching would be like, and they even pinpointed how you were going to die. Now imagine if one person did that, but then imagine if almost 40 people did that. And imagine if they didn't live in the same country during the same time. They spoke different languages from different cultures. Over the span of thousands of years, 350 things were written about your life down to specific details about who you were going to be and the kind of life you were going to live. That's what happened with Jesus. 
let me try to help you understand the probability of what this would be like, okay? There was a, a professor who had a doctorate in math, mathematics and also in probability, like the likelihood of something that something would happen. And he said, what was the likelihood that Jesus would fulfill those prophecies? Like, what would that be like? He said, 350 is way too many. Let's just look at the probability of eight of those. Eight of the major prophecies, things that people wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was born, what's the probability of eight of those that one person, right? Like maybe randomly someone's born by that name in the city of Bethlehem around that time. But what about the other things, like that all of those things would line up? This is what he said the probability of that is. He said it's like one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, that doesn't really mean anything to us, right? Because that number's so big. So let me tell you how he broke that down. He said it would be like this. If you filled the entire state of Texas with silver dollar coins, coins two feet high. Okay, you guys know how big a Texas is. You can drive eight hours and not even be through the state. But he said, imagine you filled the entire state with silver dollar coins two feet high. You stacked them that high and you marked one of them. And you blindfolded someone, spun them around, and said, you have one chance to pick that coin. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of them. And there were over 350 prophecies before he was even born about what he would do, his teachings, and his life. I'm telling you, he stands apart. He's unique from anyone else throughout all of history that has ever lived, that has ever existed. His life is different than anyone else. And so I want us to take a moment and say, if this is real, like if we believe this, what does that mean for us? What does that mean as we reflect on that and understand that idea of who Jesus was and the impact that he had? The first is this, we see this in scripture, is we understand this about the life of Jesus. He was fully man and fully God. Okay, so Jesus was fully man and fully God. As he lived here on this earth, that's what we believe as followers of Jesus. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, I'm going to give you um, some different scriptures so you can write some of these down. And I would encourage you, you can go back, reflect on them, look a little bit deeper into what it's saying and what, what they're describing about Jesus and his life. But John 1.14 says this right here. The word became flesh. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? So John packs into this one sentence who Jesus is. He's saying he is fully man and fully God. And in case that's a little confusing, that first statement right there, the word, was this Greek idea of God or the spiritual force behind the universe, the deity um, that made all of this exist. And John is saying that... That spiritual being right there, Yahweh, God himself, wrapped himself up in flesh and made his dwelling among us, that God himself lived and existed with us. Now, if you caught some of that statement, once again, that Lakitha shared with us this morning, that's what the early Christians are saying is, this is God. Although Jesus was born here on this earth, that's not when he started existing. He has existed all throughout time. The fullness of God, right, was dwelling among us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceits, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, 
every bit of God dwells in bodily form. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. The early writers of the New Testament, they're writing this, they're telling the church, hey, don't become deceived, don't get caught up. You need to understand Jesus was fully man and he was also fully God. He has existed all throughout time. He is a part of the Godhead. He's a part of God himself. It is the essence of God that came and lived here among us. Here's why this is so important as we start to read this and understand this. There were early people around this time that thought, hey, I can get on board with Jesus. Like, seems like a really great idea. But here's what they thought is, he's a spiritual being. He wasn't really human like us, okay? And so, yeah, he walked here. He taught us about God. He showed us the love of God. But he wasn't like a real physical person because they thought, you know what? Real physical people are pretty bad. So they could not understand the idea of God himself dwelling in bodily form. So the early writers are saying, no, you, you need to believe if you're on board with Jesus, you're on board with him being fully human. And then there were other people, and there have been all throughout history, that once again, they're like, yeah, I can get on board with Jesus. Great teacher, great moral person, like he taught us some really good things in the way that we should live, but I don't know about God, right? Like, I don't, I don't really get that. And so these scriptures are saying this, that no, you have to understand if you're believing in Jesus, what he claimed, who he was, that he was fully God and fully man. And this is why this is so important. He knows what you're going through. This is not some God, and this is how so many of us picture this. This is some God on the edge of the universe that's a judge, right? And he's waiting for you and me to mess up, and he's got some kind of heavenly gavel and some judge robe, and as soon as you mess up or I mess up, like he slams it down and he says, you're condemned to hell. And that's our idea of God. Or maybe he's in some other dimension and he's mad at us because he started all of this, he created the world, and then we messed it up, and he's like, great, figure it out on your own. But when we start to talk about, no, he is fully God and fully human and that he walked and lived among us, this is not a God that is distant from us. This is a God that is close to us. This is a God that understands when you cry and when you're hurting and he understands the joys and the celebrations of your life and what you are going through. This reshaped our understanding of who God was because he was no longer somewhere else in some distant part of the world or in some other dimension. This is a God that wants to draw close to his people and that wants to be near to you. Like that's our understanding. That's what we need to think about when we're thinking about Jesus. It was the picture of God coming close to us. God himself willing to live as a human and be near to us. This is such a powerful thought. Just uh, two weeks ago, I had a chance to do a funeral for a family here in our church. They lost someone very close to them that they loved. And as I was just sharing a little bit about who Jesus was, there was someone that came up after the service was done, like it was all over, and he said, hey, let me tell you this, I don't talk to pastors. He's like, I don't talk to preachers. I'm not a religious person, and I don't go to church. And I said, that's okay. I said, we can have a conversation. He said, let me tell you this. When you were just talking in those few minutes, it was the first time that I really felt like God knows what I'm going through. God understands me and he sees me right where I'm at. And I almost started to tear up because I was extremely humbled. And I just said, you know what? That's my deepest desire is it may feel really distant from you. You may not understand all the Bible stuff or all the church stuff. But my deepest prayer is that you would start to explore what it means to have a relationship with Jesus because I truly believe he loves you. You guys, that is the power 
of Jesus walking here on this earth that God chose to get close to us. And so he understands your pain. He understands the hurt. But this is the other side. If he was just a great guy walking around, what does that change? I mean, maybe it inspires us. Maybe it encourages us to be better. But the fact that he was God and that he overcame, the fact that he was God and he was resurrected from the dead, the fact that he was God and the grave could not hold him and the cross could not keep him, the fact that he did all of that displays to us we can overcome. That God living inside of us makes a difference in our lives. That he has empowered you. He's walked here on this earth. He was sinless to be that example for us. Fully God and yet fully man. He totally understands what you are going through. And yet he has given you the power to walk out your faith in a relationship with him. This is why this is so important. This is who Jesus is. Not only is he fully man and fully God, but Jesus is our salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is what it says. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus is our salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is one of the early church leaders, and he's saying this. You know what? There's not salvation anywhere else. Jesus' name it stands apart from anyone else. It is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved, that God has placed salvation in. Now, this is a little bit of a play on words when you read Jesus' name um, in the Scriptures because it says it right when he's first announced. The name Jesus, or Yeshua in the Hebrew there, literally meant salvation. You could not think of salvation without thinking of the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, every time in that culture they would say his name, they would think salvation. This is salvation coming. And this is what Peter is saying, this writer here. He's saying in order for you to be saved, you've got to put your faith and your trust in Jesus because he is our salvation. Now this is where this is so important because there are a lot of other world religions and there are a lot of other religious people. None of them stack up to Jesus. There's no other world religion that is making that claim what Jesus does, that he is the salvation of the world. I mean, you look at this, some of the well-known religions, Buddhism started and really founded and formed by a guy named Siddhartha. He was the first Buddhist, okay, he was the first Buddha. Um, and there are other Buddhists, but no one is claiming that Siddhartha or that Buddha is the salvation. They're simply saying, hey, they were the first one into enlightenment, and they'll show you kind of the pathway. But that's not how you get to nirvana. It's not through Buddha. It's looking at his example. You look at Islam. Muhammad, the great prophet of Allah, and he discovered the scriptures and heard from Allah and wrote them down. But no one's saying he's the salvation. And yet Jesus stands apart because he is not only the messenger, but he is the messiah. He's not only one bringing the word of the Lord, he is God himself coming in flesh. He is our salvation. He is how we are saved. You can't just believe he was a great teacher, like he was a good guy. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to believe this is God himself and what he did on the cross. The sacrifice that he made, him giving his life, makes all the difference for us. It is the salvation of God come close to us so that we could be brought back into right relationship with him. That's why Jesus stands unique. He's not claiming just to be a messenger of God or just to be someone to teach us how to live a better life. He is the salvation of the world. 
the last thing is this, is that Jesus is above anyone else. Jesus is above anyone else. I know that's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for me to say in a culture where we want everyone to be equal. We want everyone to be kind of be on the same playing field. And yet this one individual stands apart from anyone else. Philippians 2, 8 says this, that Jesus being found in the appearance as man humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That he has been exalted above every other name, that there is no other name like him, and that he is above everyone else. He has been exalted by God at the right hand of the Father. This is who we worship. This is who our hearts are given to. This is what we believe about Jesus. He is unique from anyone else in all of history. Let me close by just reciting part of a message that was given um, by a famous minister. His name is S.M. Lockridge. And let me just say this. I'm not going to do this justice, okay? This was an amazing southern preacher, man. He had amazing oratory skills and rhythm. So I want to challenge you. Go home, just go on YouTube, look up S.M. Lockridge, That's My King. And you'll find a lot of different versions of this. But let me just give you this because it's so powerful. It was actually about a seven-minute talk that he gave. I'm just going to kind of give you the middle part of that. But this is what he said about the life of Jesus, just trying to describe him. He says, Jesus is my king, and his office is manifold, and his promise is sure. His life is matchless, and his goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting, and his love never changes. His word is enough, and his grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable, and he's incomprehensible. He's invisible, but he's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens could not contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, and they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault, and the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave could not hold him. That is my king. And I always laugh at that middle part, because he's gone on for so long, and he's saying, I'm telling you, I can't even describe him. It doesn't matter how many words that I use. It doesn't matter how much I try. This is someone that stands unique from anyone in history. And throughout all of that, look at the power of this. Not only is he God, but he is God that draws close to us. Not only is he creator, but he is a creator who wants to be in relationship with you. This is why Jesus stands unique and apart from anyone else in history. He knows what you are going through and he loves you. And he wants to be close to you. That's the heart and the desire of God. And so I want to encourage you with this right here. To reflect on Jesus this week. To spend time every day this week reflecting on who he is. And I want you to think about this. This action step right here. Just taking a few moments. It may be early in the morning. It could be late at night. Over your lunch break. And just stop and reflect on these two things. 
Jesus was fully human and he overcame, which means we can overcome too. Where is it in your life? Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're facing something. It seems overwhelming. And just recognizing that, Jesus, you walked here on this earth. You were fully human. You gave your life and you submitted to the Father and you overcame. And so that means that I can overcome too. Just take a couple minutes and reflect on that. And then reflect on this. Jesus is fully God, which means he deserves our love and obedience. You guys, he's not just the best friend. He's not just another person that's walked here on this earth. He is fully God, which means he has the right to determine and to control my life. He is worthy of my love and worthy of my obedience. He is king, which means what he says is the final say. He is the final authority in my life. And take a few moments and reflect on that. God, am I acknowledging that you're king and you're worthy of my love and my obedience, God? That I recognize who you were, Jesus, fully who you were, how you stood apart. And Jesus, you have the right to direct to correct, to instruct my life in any way that you want to. And God, I'm going to submit to you because you're worthy. You're worthy of that, Lord. I want to pray for us this morning. If you would take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to start with this. You may be here this morning and maybe you're, like I mentioned at the beginning of service, you're saying, hey, I'm new to church or I'm new to this Christian thing and and I don't know if I'm there yet, or I I don't know if I've been there. I feel disconnected from God. I want to invite you this morning into a relationship with God. And it doesn't mean you have to know everything or be perfect, definitely not that, or have everything figured out. But it's saying, God, I, I want to get to know you more. And I know that I haven't done everything right. And God, I need you in my life. And so we're going to pray this prayer out loud. And this prayer simply acknowledges just what I've said of, Hey, God, I've messed up, and there's times I've tried to do things my own way, and so we're just going to acknowledge that. And it's also acknowledging I can't fix myself on my own. I can't do enough good stuff by myself to somehow make it right. God, I need you in my life. I need you, Jesus. And just inviting him in, saying, I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to ask if we could all say this prayer out loud, even if you're by yourself, maybe. You're all alone, but say this out loud because we don't want anyone praying this by themselves. Let's pray this together. Jesus, I come to you. And I need you in my life. I admit that I've sinned. I've messed up. And I pray for your forgiveness. Give me a brand new start. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. I want a relationship with you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate? The Bible says this, that all of heaven rejoices, all of heaven celebrates when even one person prays that prayer. And so if that's you this morning, you prayed that maybe for the first time or you felt disconnected from God, but you're saying, I want to come back. I want a relationship with God. All of heaven is rejoicing and we're rejoicing with you. And I want to encourage you. We don't want you to try to figure this out by yourself. 
We want to walk with you. And so I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, if you've been disconnected from God, but you're saying, man, I want a relationship with him, go this morning to newcommunity.co slash connect track. So newcommunity.co slash connect track. And that's just a great way to get connected with others. And we're going to help you understand the first time that you're in that class, you're just going to learn about who Jesus was and what it means when we talk about being saved or his salvation in our life and, and what it means to follow after him. We don't want you trying to figure this out on your own. So we have some great people that want to walk with you. And that's an amazing first step. So go there and fill that out. Get connected in our Connect Track class. And we want to help you walk with Jesus. Let me pray one more prayer. And I say this almost every Sunday, but I don't want you to repeat this prayer after me. I want you to just simply have a conversation with God. And if you're new to prayer, you're like, I don't pray a lot. You don't have to say any special words, but just have an honest conversation of Jesus, help me to get to know you more. Or Jesus, show me, are there areas of my life where I haven't let you be king? I'm still trying to hold on to control. Or Jesus, are there areas where I'm trying to do it by myself and I need to realize you were human. You walked through this and you can help me overcome. Just have an honest conversation with God that he would help us this week to acknowledge who he is. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. It's so amazing, Lord. After preaching for 20 some years, after following you, God, all of my life, Lord, I'm amazed, Lord, still at your love, at the kind of God that you are, how you choose to love us, Lord. And Lord, this morning, we just recognize that Jesus we recognize that you are supreme, that you stand apart, that you are the king. You're different from anyone that has ever lived. You are fully God and also fully human. And my prayer is help us as your church, Lord, this week to recognize that, to walk that out, to live in that. Lord, what you have done. God, help us to surrender every part of our life to you, to follow your direction and your guidance. And also, Lord, to lean on you when we need your strength, Lord, when we need your help, God. You overcame, and so we can overcome. Jesus, we want to be present with you and acknowledge who you are. So walk with us this week, and Lord, in our workplaces, Lord, in our neighborhoods, God, at different events, when we're hanging out with family and friends, Lord, remind us of your goodness, Lord, and let us put you on display, your love and your compassion to the world around us that desperately needs to see you. Let us be that kind of church. In your name, amen.